IndyCar Podcast. Kirby and Justin. Kirby, how are you? Doing well, Justin. How about yourself? I mean, I could be a lot worse. So I I thank for I thank uh, a higher power for every day. There you go. Can't go wrong that way. No, I'm hedging my bets, anyways. So uh, shall we dive into all things IndyCar, Kirby? Lead away. Lead the way. Kirby, do you think, as I do, that the Andretti F1 snub might be the best possible outcome for IndyCar? Uh, I wish it would translate, but I don't know that it will. I, I, I don't really see it so much as the Andretti side of it that it's it's so positive, but the GM side of it that I see positive, that there won't be all that funding going to racing, to another form of racing, uh, and they there might be some money to spend on IndyCar. Are you saying that GM is going to not pursue participation in Formula One? Well, they've stated that uh, they're committed with Andretti still. I mean, that's, you know, maybe it's lip service, but I think that they've kind of made it clear that they're still with them. And I think now we're, what, to 28 before, you know, they uh, could even put an engine in if they wanted to, and, and they still kind of implying that it's with Andretti. So let's put it this way. I think it's bought, us, it's bought IndyCar a little breathing room. You know, because if if they were accepted in, you know, 26 or whatever, then, uh, you know, they would start spending money yesterday. That had been a question I'd had in terms of they sure seemed to make it clear they wanted GM and Cadillac in the series. They just didn't want Andretti. (laughs) I mean, right. (laughs) Yeah. And but so they're like, well, when when GM is shows up, uh, we'll give Andretti another, you know, chance to apply again. And I guess my question is, if GM Cadillac is only going to Formula One with Andretti, but Andretti's not promised to be allowed in the series, does GM even bother? There's kind of a chicken and egg thing there, isn't there? You've been using that chicken and egg analogy a little bit too much on this podcast lately, Curb. I got to warn you there. You're chicken and egg, and you're chicken and egg, and a lot. I don't even remember the last time I used that. <laughs> the last time, last podcast. I might have cut it out, but you've been oh, okay. using that chicken and egg thing. You got You got to get off that. I'm just warning right, you. Well, you, you know, because I've I've shited other podcasters for saying it's how long is a piece of string thing. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I just I'm trying to prevent you from falling into the same uh, quagmire. Right, no, no cliches here. I'm sorry. Um, Thank you. Uh, but do you get my point? I get your point. You know, first thing you'd have to ask is like, what team then would they go with? You know, um, and you kind of go through the current field. It's kind of, it's almost crowded. They almost got, they almost got, they got such a bounty of uh, manufacturers there now. Uh, you know, Audi's coming in and the whole thing. It's, it's pretty interesting. Curb, you are a former Audi owner, if I recall. <laughs> yeah. Right. Didn't have the best of experience with it, as I recall. This was kind of during the dark days of Audi producing cars. It turned out uh, so, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I've been reading uh, some historical books. In fact, I think I sent you one the other day, yes. um, which I encourage you to read. There's there's a lot of references to auto union in that, right? Um, which is the early Audi. Is that right? Yep. I have, yep. I, have, I, I gotta admit, I haven't cracked that one open yet. So I, I tell you, once you do, you're you're gonna you're gonna Blow through it. You're going to be fascinated. You're going to be interested. I look forward to it. But, you know, even the the some of those manufacturers have more than one team they're supplying, correct? Yes. They probably like that, don't they? I mean, they're selling more engines and making a little more money off of it or defraying their costs. Yeah, I don't think they mind having uh, too many customers. Yeah, I agree. I don't think they mind having customers. So another reason it's crowded for manufacturers. If I'm running Chevy, and I'm not because the lady who runs it is, you know, GM, I should say. Mm-hmm. I, I, I want to make a, I want to make a splash, a statement. I mean, let's just say you got on Red Bull's team, right? Let's say you're this engine supplier, Red Bull, right? Okay. You know, if if, if you could pull that off, <sighs> isn't it still like Red Bull first, and then you, you as the engine supplier somewhere kind of far down the you know, I mean, Cadillac is kind of way back down there. I mean, in terms of of um, recognition. 
Yeah, and just like bang for the buck. I mean, bang for the marketing buck. I mean, will anybody truly believe that you know Max Verstappen's going to drive a you know is driving a Cadillac because he likes the car? Uh, no, but I guess what you're saying is there are some teams where the brand is is uh, going to be stronger than the manufacturer, and there's other teams that don't, right? I think in the the appeal of Andretti to GM is it's almost co-branding, right? I'm not sure you're going to get great co-branding with many of these other teams. The top half of the field has relatively strong brands, right? Mm-hmm. And then the bottom half, they have no brand at all for the most part, and they sell themselves to any sponsor that wants to rename the team. Yeah, but if you, even if you pick like a hot mess like Haas, right? I mean, they can't leave Ferrari. They're getting all the the body parts from Ferrari. Look, you and I are are self-acknowledged not F1 experts, but I kind of get the feeling that GM's reluctance here to go away from them is like, who are they going to go with that's going to kind of give them any kind of marketing bang for the incredible amounts of money they would have to spend to be in it? Well, I mean, that's where you got to spend more money to activate, right? I mean, you got to... It would be incumbent upon Cadillac GM to spend more money to make sure that their brand name is front and center or alongside anyway, a Max Verstappen or a Red Bull. Yeah, but I also think you're selling America, too. You know, I mean, you're selling the Cadillac brand as as a prestige brand, an American prestige brand overseas. That's what you're really selling. Right. Yeah, sure. And. You know, it's going to be it's, it's it's such a muddled message with so many of those teams. Right. Uh, it, it almost has to be an American team. I don't know about that. I think that. You know, Cadillac, to my understanding. Has gotten involved in sports car racing and um, and now is maybe looking at this because they want to put their kind of stodgy image behind them. Right. Sure. I mean, it, they're not your grandfather's luxury car anymore. If they can get their brand affiliated or, or uh, recognized along with Formula One, then they would probably go a long way to accomplishing that, both here in America and abroad. I mean, I, I would assume that's their goal. I mean, I got the impression they got their backs up because of the way Formula One was treating them and treating Andretti, and so they weren't going to let the Euros and Formula One separate the two of them. I think that's in there too. But at the end of the day, I just let, let's leave this topic. But I just want to leave you with one parting thought. Okay. Yeah. In the next couple of years, I'm going to have to buy a car in Europe. I'll be in Europe and I'll have to buy a car there. Right. Okay. And I'm going to have a range of fabulous cars available to me to buy. Right. Okay. And I, I, this is probably not the best example, but but let's say I'm German. <laughs> okay. I mean, born bred a long reach there. Yeah. Born bred German. Right. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and so, you know, I grew up in Germany. I know all about BMWs. I know all about Mercedes. I know all about, you know, Audis. I know all about all the wonderful cars that they've produced in Europe over the years. Right. Why am I going to buy an American car? Why am I going to buy a Cadillac? And I'll tell you why I think they would. Um, is because first of all the quality is going to have to be there relatively speaking right but um you know you can't be a mile off on on the quality or the the overall but i i think cadillac's getting there they're they're making some decent cars these days but i think it's like i'm i heinrich am going to i'm going to distinguish myself you know i'm not going to just be another mercedes driver on the autobahn i'm going to have a caddy it's going to make me a little different right it's yeah, it's American, but it's a good it's 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 the best of America. And that's why I'm buying that car. So I think the American attachment is important is what I'm saying. It's not it's not to, for, to them selling cars It is I know it's a little counterintuitive and like every, you know, the euros look down on America and they do. But there's also and I've from the time I spent over there and the people I've met over there over the years, there's also a kind of a grudging respect about it, too. Right. For example, mm-hmm. Ford Mustangs are high, you know, like from the from the you know late 60s, uh, you know, early right. 70s area are highly sought after there. Right. right. Sure. Highly sought after. So they love those. And I think 
so I just think that's that's what Cadillac's selling over there, and the same thing with it. And you could you extrapolate that out to Asia and and other places. I th- I think you are selling a little bit of America, you know, and and even though they kind of look down upon it and they they see all the flaws, there's a grudging respect there which kind of sells a little bit. Yeah, and I you know there's lots of people who are just looking for something unique, right? So I suppose in Europe, Cadillac would be unique. Exactly, exactly. It's a way to kind of stick out uh, a little bit over there because you know everybody's got an E-class Mercedes. Right, right. Okay, you go to to Albania. That's all. That's all you see is Mercedes. They're they're everywhere. It's the strangest thing. Right. Curb. Speaking of Mercedes, who's going to replace Lewis Hamilton at Mercedes? (laughs) I think we've already uh, stretched beyond the limits of my Formula One knowledge, but um, yeah, that's why I like to ask you because I love to see you fumble (laughs) around with it a little bit. Uh, hopefully it won't be Danny Rich, Rick, Danny Ricks. Um, Don't think so. <laughs> he probably has a better chance of a NASCAR ride than a than a Formula One ride at that point. Um, could be the guy that Hamilton's replacing, right? This is Signs. Signs could be it. Um, um, Max could kick Checo out of the Red Bull car. Uh, he's out. I, it's, I think it's going to be. I, I, we I know we're diverting into Formula One here, but yeah, there's going to be. Two of the hottest seats in racing in F1 and in, in the racing world available. Uh, Checo's seat's gone, and uh, you're going to have Lewis's seat. So right. that, even if even as a hater of Formula One as you are, and we, you know, it, obviously the script to, for Drive to Survive for this coming year is already written. I was going to um, say it's a, yeah, a real it, boon to this ratings. It's, it's, it's going to be a huge boon to the ratings, but it will be. I mean, even if you're a hater, it's going to be interesting. It's it, it will be interesting. Well, one of those drivers, when they win the seat, will they go jump into the waters of the Mediterranean to celebrate? I read an article. It was about uh, Alex Albon, right? Okay, sure. And uh, it was really interesting. They referred to Ricardo um, several times throughout the article and stuff, and and. Uh, it's interesting. I, uh, Ricardo, I think, is kind of uh, – he's not done. That's that's too strong. But I, I think he's finally lost. He's a top-tier F1 driver. I think that might be gone. Well, he didn't help himself with his um, performance last year, did he? No, that's what I'm saying. I think yeah, that yeah. maybe was the the straw that broke that camel's back is like – uh okay you know because they put that other guy in um you know because uh danny ricks broke his hand and uh you know he kind of did better i I, look we've both talked you know we both think he's probably a bit overrated and we can't figure out why um i mean certainly the people in formula one paddock always saw something in him but i don't know dude i mean at some point you got to stop believing i hate to give him any support, but um, I mean, he did win a few races there early on, didn't he? And yes, had looked like he had one or two races in hand that uh, got that he lost for bad luck or bad uh, performance by his team. Uh, 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 nobody's arguing there was a time. Okay, okay right? I get you. But, right. uh, I, I mean, I'm not arguing that, but I mean, I, I think this is like, oh, he's just in the wrong situation. He's just in the wrong car. He's just in blah 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 blah. I, I think all those arguments are now at the window. I just don't think he's at the top anymore. No, I agree. I agree with that. Curb, um, IndyCar, there's been a fair amount of uh, chattering about about uh, the hybrid power coming in and, and uh, at some point during this year. And, um, and it looks like they're going to couple the hybrid power with the push-to-pass power. I mean, that's a bit intriguing, wouldn't you say? Uh, yeah, and surprised. I was surprised to hear that, uh, but it does sound that way. Yeah. I also think it's it's being born out of the fact that the cars were kind of slow, the hybrid cars, like the weight was really making them a bit ponderous. So I think maybe they had to do something. You know, on another podcast, a driver that participated in the testing, most recent testing, said that they'd kind of closed the gap there in terms of speed. It was. Still slower, but uh, within an acceptable window of of, uh, of the previous speeds. So he wasn't as concerned about that as he had been previously. 
Correct. I, I think they have narrowed the gap a little bit, but what I wasn't clear on was there's, is that because the push to pass and the hybrid were available during that test. I, I interpret it to be just typical speed without those aids, but uh, I could be wrong. Yeah. Either either way, apparently they were very, very slow for a while. That that was not really well publicized. Um, well, there, there were a lot of things that weren't well publicized, I think. But, uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, but, you know, I think that they probably were detuned a little bit because of their reliability issues, but it sounds like their reliability issues are starting to turn the corner. And so it sounds like they're maybe better able to push the envelope a little bit in terms of uh, engine performance. Yeah. Well, look, it's good. Uh, it's good that they're going to be able to combine those two and, you know, see some real bursts of power out of those things. I think it's going to be good. I mean, these things are hard to predict sometimes, but um, they are going to drop this thing in, in in the middle of the season, in the middle of the summer sometime. And so, I think this first year there'll probably be more disparity, just like any time they have a change in body kits or whatever for a time there. There's a, a lot more disparity in terms of who comes to grips with it faster than others. And so for the second half of the season and maybe early next season, I think you'll see that for a while. It'll, it'll eventually, you know, they'll all eventually get back into a tight window again performance-wise. But you maybe see more of a disparity here for the first uh, season and a half or so. Agreed. Crip, did I tell you my mother-in-law bought me a Bartesian for Christmas? Uh, I guess not, because I don't know what that is. It's kind of, Think of it as like a Keurig, but for mixed drinks. A Keurig That's, for mixed drinks? Yes. Okay. Gotcha. And I just, just finished a, a Sex on the Beach uh, combo uh, that was made, in, and it's freaking fabulous. Fantastic. Really? Yeah. So do you have to, like, have a bunch of bottles upside down on the back of the machine or something or what? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, they have these things. So you got all the different liquors in these like, you know, containers. And yes, that's exactly how it works. And so does it require you to be uh, a bit of a lush to get it all used up before it goes stale? No. Well, I mean, alcohol doesn't go stale. It's a wonderful thing about it. But there's mixtures or things to make a sex on the beach. Yeah, but but that's the thing. They they that's all in the like the Keurig type packet that you put in there. Oh oh, I see. So like the the coffee packet for Keurig. Yes, is, exactly. Is the, except except they now they have it for mixed drinks and they have it for different kinds of martinis. The, the uh, espresso martini is fantastic. Um, but the, so but the packet is the mixer stuff and not the correct, alcohol. Correct. Cor- not the alcohol. Yep. Gotcha. Okay. I'll have to look that up. That sounds interesting. It's fantastic. I mean, I, I you know, I, 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 I know you're a bit of a traditionalist and so am I, you know, and I kind of like the whole, you know, thing of like mixing a drink and all that. But the, the bottom line is you don't do it very often because, you know, it is kind of a pain in the ass, right? Yeah, this it's, thing, hard to, it's hard to have the fresh mixture of materials on. Right. There. Exactly. Right. And you, you, you know, you're always missing something or whatever. This thing is, uh, yeah, good. In fact, I'm going to have to take a break here and make myself another. So. Well, go ahead. Let's see. Uh, time me, Crib. Let's see how long it takes. <laughs> All right. Okay. I am leaving now. Done and in my hand. Uh, that was 60 seconds right on the nose. Fantastic. Crib, uh, Extreme E. Uh, next year becoming extreme H, I believe, or, you know, it's going hydrogen. Right. Um, but they've lost, I think, three teams so far, uh, including Ganassi. Right. Yeah. What do you well, make of all that? I, I think it'd be interesting to see somebody trying another alternative fuel that's uh, not, as far as I know, hydrogen would not be electricity based, I guess, but um I don't mind them exploring uh, alternative fuels. Well, you got the uh, guy's a zealot, that's for sure. I mean, you, you know, <laughs> you gotta yeah. say that. You know, I, I don't know. They've lost some manufacturers and teams. I, 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 you and I have talked about the whole series. It's kind of hard to kind of get your mind around what they're trying to do. It's like they're going around the world to demonstrate alternative fuels and how they're better for the environment by racing around through those environments with four-wheel drive, you know, racing cars. I. It, the whole thing seems a little crazy to me, but that move to hydrogen is a pretty extreme move, and I think maybe it's killing some of the manufacturer interest there. I haven't heard of too many manufacturers uh, looking at 
at uh, hydrogen as part of their future. But um, it's too far down the line. And, and from what I understand, there's more energy input to get it than, you know, than, you know, it's not energy efficient. That uh, happens a lot in these newfangled uh, <laughs> alternative energy. <laughs> sure forms. does. Uh, I know Elon Musk is a, a very anti thinks it's just stupid. Hydrogen, you mean? Yes. I'm not quite sure how to respond when Musk takes a position, so I have to think about that one first. But. Well, look, Curb, I, I I did, like, when I was going through, scrolling through stuff today, I saw that they landed that uh, rocket now, the booster rocket, 17 times. Have they? Yeah, they've used it 17 times. Whatever you think of Elon Musk... Just think about that. They use that booster 17 times. No, no, don't get me wrong. I just. No, and I'm not saying you were bashing them, but, you know, I mean, we all have. our. He he, he owns an electric car company, so he may not be excited about. We all have our mixed. Yeah, that's true. But we all have our mixed feelings about the individual. But let's let's call uh, let's call it what it is. He has landed a massive booster rocket on a barge 17 times in a row. Oh yeah, no, I, I, that's all very impressive. It's beyond impressive. Yeah, I've seen I've seen headlines uh, in the Wall Street Journal and such that the the U.S. government is growing more dependent on Elon Musk for space travel purposes. Yeah, I think SpaceX could make Tesla look like a you know little ant. Yeah. Curb. IndyCar franchise uh, system guaranteed spots in the 500. That's kind of made a brief uh, highlight in the synopsis of your IndyCar fans. And just for those who don't follow IndyCar closely, there's talk of kind of going back to some version of the 25 and 8 rule, where if you're a participant in the whole series, you're a guaranteed spot in the 500. And uh, this was also supposedly part of the franchise uh, system, which we have been advocating here. Uh, or at least I have. Kind of, I don't know why that came in, and it's it's kind of gone out as quickly as it's came in. But there's two things that came out of that whole discussion that I found interesting. One was that the whole franchise thing has gone cold a little bit because supposedly IndyCar went in and said, yeah, we'll give you a franchise, but it's only good for a certain amount of time, which isn't a franchise at all, in my opinion. It's a lease. And, supp- and supposedly they wanted a million dollars. Whatever. I mean, if you're not getting it permanently, it doesn't. You, you're not giving anybody anything, or no, very little, right? <laughs> um, I agree. But the other thing that came out of it, I think, is that if they ever do do a franchise system, the the whole there's going to be guaranteed spots for <laughs> the regular participants. End of story. And th- this is uh, fans be damned, uh, traditionalists be damned. That's the way it's going to be because. That's the way it's going to be. And Roger Penske absolutely wants it. I hold out hope, but I think you're probably right. IndyCar has nothing else of value to sell right now, right? I mean, no, that's it. That's it. So um, I don't know if there's a way to pay the teams um, for participating in the 500, whether they qualify for the race or not. But I still didn't do any good for the sponsors. And that's the whole point is to uh, make the sponsors happy. To so, tell your um, sponsor in January, you're going to be in the 500. Right. Now, the question is, does that damage the 500 to the point where it's less meaningful? Um, do you kill the golden goose because the 500 is really the only thing of value you have? And um, they've already, out of necessity, uh, had to tear down a lot of traditions at the race. And um, The balloons. Yeah, I see no more balloons. Um, but, you know, it's one week into qualifying now and not two, which they, they then turn around and use that as one of the excuses why they have to have Guaranteed spots because now in, in one weekend you may not have time to repair a damaged car or something like that if you were to wreck on your qualifying run or something. They've done a good job of marshalling their arguments. They've done a good job of putting some weepy-eyed car owners in front of the camera to explain why they have to have uh, this guarantee. And um, but and so I think that's why it's come out now. They're just trying to soften the yeah the field. We're being, for ma- this we're being manipulated. We're being manipulated. Right. So right. we can just get our mind around that that's what's going to happen. I agree. We're being manipulated. Right. Even if you did offer that, it seems to me they got a long way to go to to come up with a franchise system that makes sense for everybody. NASCAR is obviously having trouble with theirs. And theirs apparently had a time limit to it too, right? I mean, I guess similar to a Concord agreement, I guess they have 
these things have to be renewed every so many years. And they pointed out uh, today that, you know, the owner of the IndyCar series is on the other side of the table in, in the NASCAR discussion as a car owner. Um, and I don't know how vocal he is among the car ownership group, but the car ownership in general has just hired an antitrust attorney to help them <laughs> in their negotiations with NASCAR. So it um, is, that is a, 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 thank you for pointing that out. It's a fascinating point. Um, I, I can't claim it was original thought, but, uh, but yeah, oh, go ahead. Um, look, um, I watched the uh, dinner with racers, Paul Tracy stuff, uh-huh. which I, I found very interesting. Right. Um, okay. thought that was good. And then there's been a few other things, you know, just around Penske in general. And I read that Donahue book. And so I'm starting to form a, a, a sketch, if you will, in my mind of Roger Penske. Right. Right. And, and I got to tell you, it's kind of growing increasingly unfavorable. <laughs> okay. Please don't misinterpret what I'm saying, but it's kind of all about Roger. And, you know, he dri- I think he drives an extremely hard bargain, and it's obviously brought him a lot of success in the past. And I'm trying not to look at these things in the moment. I try to look at them from a much longer term point of view. But I really get the feeling as far as like come, when it comes to running the IndyCar series, he's just trying to drive too hard of a bargain here all around on everything. And that's why we're just as fans sitting here year after year going, God, why does this have to be this way? You know, by way of example, I guess, is, you know, Tracy was talking about the five year contract he signed at midnight under duress in the, you know, the, <laughs> right. the Allison engine plant. Right. Right. And yeah. they said, well, OK, you know, you start winning races and you're a hot shot at Penske. You know, did you renegotiate the contract? No, <laughs> I, he, you know, there was no option to do that. I was stuck. Right. Well, I, I think so. either he or his dad raised the question, I think. Right. And they were. Yeah, totally rebuffed. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm not weighting that 90 percent in my uh, overall opinion. I mean, that's just a, a, a that's just in there. Right. But. If that's the kind of thing he is, again, I understand that he's obviously been very successful doing that, but that could explain a whole hell of a lot of what we're seeing right now out of the IndyCar series. Complete yeah, it, lack it, of flexibility. It's fair to say, though, that the IndyCar series hasn't really been run by a good businessman in God knows how long, right? Since 1996. At least. Yeah, so, I mean, I think... Tony Holman did wonderful things for the the event and the facility. He had an easy run. Once he got it started, restarted, he had an easy run, I think. The thing ran itself and printed money, and he used the money appropriately on the facility. Um, I'm sure he used some appropriately for himself. But from the 50s to the into the 80s, I mean, it was just a cash machine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, nobody had to look at it with a business eye that closely for a long time through a combination of of circumstances, they find themselves where they are now, and the series, separate from the rate, the 500, the series is losing like 15 to 25 million a year. I think we'd all be trying to drive a harder bargain somewhere, wouldn't we? I mean, it's it's got to be tough to try to uh, turn that ship around when you got that kind of deficit. And yes, you can say that this 500 and everything at Speedway can subsidize that, but I don't think a real businessman is looking at it that way. Whether it's an excuse for what you're seeing and, and suggesting is happening or whether it's uh, the re- real reason for it, I can't tell you. But they got a long way to go to get that thing healthy. Okay, but I guess where I, as a fan, right, but also as a businessman, I guess where I kind of diverge from that is like, okay, let's say they're losing $20 million in New York just for to make a nice round number, right? Uh, right. On the this car is a, and they're making whatever they're making off the 500, which is a bunch, a lot more than 20 million. Okay. Sure. Um, okay. Let's say you want to stop losing that 20 million. Okay. I get that. Okay. There's like in any business, there's two ways to go about it, right? You either like pinch pennies and try to make it go, right? You know, and try to pinch 20 million dollars of pennies out of the joint, mm-hmm. right? Or you go the other way and you're like, well, we got to grow the business. You know, we got to grow the and 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 grow out of it. I don't think there's 20 million bucks of pennies 
in the IndyCar series to pinch. So I don't think they're ever going to get there that way, right? Right. And, and we've seen demonstrably by IMSA, NASCAR, and F1 that the other route is quite viable. So you might want to think about the other route. And I don't think anybody's thinking about the other route. And that's what kind of, you know, that's where I diverge with that. I mean, I get yeah. it. You know, why why would you run the rest of the series and lose 20 million on a year? I get that. But for Christ's sake, grow out of it. You're not you're not going to penny pinch your way out of it. I agree with you there. Um, you know, I think I go. I would say uh, what qualifies as Penske criticism for me is, you know, going back to when he made this, you know, transaction to buy the Speedway and to buy the series. He has a sterling track record as a guy that runs businesses based on hard assets, right? Whether it's trucks, whether it's selling cars, whether it's um, building and operating you know, racetracks, facilities. Uh, he's done a great job with the f- facility at the Speedway since he bought it. He doesn't have a track record running an entertainment company. We're still seeing him struggle to come to grips with that. No argument for me on that. Curb, um, David Belukas. Davey? Little Dave. Yep. Pretty unfortunate for him, right? I mean, he had a training accident, or, you know, training mountain biking, whatever you want to call it. You know, he, he hurt himself. Okay. Yep. Sure. Um, happens. I, I think that puts him in a horrible, horrible place. You know, he's going to miss a lot of time in that car, uh, both in uh, track, you know, practice days, and uh, and and he's going to miss the first race for sure, at least. Um, I, and and this is a year where he pretty much has to do it. I mean, I, I I feel for the guy. I think this is just a horrible, horrible thing for him. And uh, he had a chance maybe this year to prove himself, but I think that job's just gotten 20 times harder. Nothing to argue with there. Um, you know, he's fortunate that the second event, he'll, he'll probably miss thermal too, I think. But that's a non-points-paying event. So if you assume that everybody's going to have some DNFs along the way, he'll he'll be short five or six points that he might have gotten if it was a DNF instead of a no start. But He's given away one of his gimmies, right, or one of his uh, mulligans. And so he's going to be behind the eight ball testing. He's going to be behind the eight ball getting race fitness, getting, you know, it's one thing to test those cars. It'll probably be another thing to figure out how they work in the race. So he's going to be behind the eight ball, you know, two events that way. He seems like a bright young kid. I don't know that he's, uh, you know, wound tight like somebody like Will Power would be, but I would think he's still going to feel the pressure. Uh, once he finally does get back in the car to to try to make a good impression, which may lead to him overdriving, which will be another whole nother problem. That's always a concern. You know, hopefully he gets to Indy. He's got a week to drive the car, you know, in practice, and and um, kind of hard to overdrive on an oval like that. Um, so if he's got it's no, but I mean that, that 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 might be his chance to take a breath and reset himself, and if he can perform well there, that might enhance his reputation or his image beyond, you know, the, the struggle that we're foreseeing for him, you know, in the first, I'm going to say half the season where he might get himself in a hole in the standings and that kind of thing. If he can do something uh, positive and make a positive impression of the 500, that might help overshadow any struggles he might have getting up to speed. Uh, well, the guys who, who is a circling vulture over that entire situation is probably going to get his ride in St. Pete which is I lot. And, uh, you know, I, I, what a disaster for Dave. I mean, you know, I mean, I lot's going to be there. I, I think I rate I lot as a driver and, uh, I lot's got a wonderful opportunity here to make his case for next year. At, uh, McLaren. No, I agree. It's, it's not good for Davey. Um, but, um, it's not only Malukas, but Rossi's, uh, contracts up at the end of the year too. So, you never know um, if he can – they could find themselves with two seats to fill, I guess is what I'm saying. And so maybe if he can make a decent impression and, you know, kind of linger on in the, the Rosenquist kind of role there for a couple of years, maybe he can get a second chance. What do you bet if Rossi loses his seat that he will be much like Newgarden and stop podcasting with Hinchcliffe? <laughs> could be. Either put him over the edge or set him off in the different direction career-wise, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Start angling for the Fox uh, IndyCar booth. 
Yeah. Along with many others at this yes, point. Exactly. Curb, do we have to talk much about the Nashville mess at this point? I don't think we have to because we would probably sound like a broken record. So, uh, okay. Let, let's rise above it then. Okay. But uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll take it on an angle, all right? Um, how many people do you think think that this happened because Penske wants to set up Joseph Newgarden to win uh, this championship in the second half of the year with a closing slate of like five oval races in the last six events or something like that. How many people do I think think that? The conspiracy theorists out there think this is all set up for by Penske so he can run ovals at the end of the season to get nah, it's, New Garden Championship. It's, it's moronic. Um, <laughs> it may be, I agree it's moronic, but it still comes out. It's, yeah, no. It, it, it's It's really simple. And it's a pattern we've seen from IndyCar many, many times. Aim, shoot, fire. Or did I get that wrong? Fire, shoot, aim. Fire. Yeah, I, I think aim's last. <laughs> yeah, whatever. They, they, <laughs> they, they announced this thing that probably had never had a chance of happening. People began to realize it had no chance of happening. And they salvaged what they could out of it. I don't think there's anything more to say other than that. Um, I, I've I've uh, seen all the banter back and forth, but it's really pretty much they salvaged what they could out of that deal. And it's probably better than them saying, you know, well, we're not going to Nashville, so the season's going to end in you know, whatever's for Nashville. They salvaged it or Borchetta salvaged it for him because uh, uh-huh. Borchetta said he was the one that put the call into Speedway Motorsports, uh, and asked if they could race at, uh, yeah, at the National he's, Super he, Speedway. He's actually the hero in all this, um, yeah. in yeah. my opinion. But um, and, and congratulations, Curb, on uh, you know becoming part of the press corps. So just to announce to our uh, listeners out there, we are officially part of the deal. We, we now have a correspondent. So um, yeah, whatever lessons they learned in the Boston fiasco, it seems like they have forgotten. Either they were lied to, or they did not do proper due diligence. Um, well, I, they've, they've smartly, as it, I would say, from a, my viewpoint, held off on the Argentina thing because that has the makings of being the exact same thing all over again. Yeah, and um, and honestly, I feel like things like Argentina are distractions from, you know, it just takes our eye off the ball, don't you think? It's, I, I don't think they should ever race anywhere where it's not points paying. That's it. Well, I mean, I agree with you there, but Miles for years has talked about, oh, let's go do some money making races after the season's over, and blah blah blah. Instead of doing what you talked about earlier and growing out of your financial problems, and maybe maybe somebody would say that is growing out of your financial problems, but it's not focusing on your series and making your series. As you say, your points paying races, it doesn't make your series stronger or better. And with all the time and energy you spent dicking around with that, you could have been spending on whatever your problems are as a series. Curb, I did something, um, how do I put this, self-abusive last night. Which okay. is which well, is new how? I don't want any of our listeners going to a dark place here with that comment. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, God help me. I uh, opened my, uh, you know, smaller, my portable computer that I take around with me. You know, I got in bed and opened that up. <laughs> okay. Let's see, I self-abused myself. I got into bed with my computer. <laughs> I know, I know. We're, we're going to a dark, dark place. But don't go there. Don't go there. We're not going there. Well, you keep taking us closer. That's what I'm saying. All right. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll get us out. And I watched the last 20 laps of the Xfinity race in Daytona. Okay. So I can't was remember. It, was, it, was this after the 500? Yes. Okay. So this is the Xfinity race, which was supposed to be before it, but then, you know, weather, it, it was after it, right? All right. Uh, so I can't remember the three guys in the box. You might know them. But Michael Wattrip was one, right? Uh-huh. Um, I can't remember who the other two were. Curb. First of all, the first thing you got to understand is like when you're watching those cars go around the track 
And of course, you had plenty of time to really get a good look at him because it was yellow, like all the time, right? Right. And <laughs> they were literally taped up. Like all the cars were just completely taped up, right? Like none of them were like pristine. They were all just like like half the front hood was duct tape, you know, or whatever the you know air what do they call it, you know, racing. T- uh, it's not racing tape, but um, Aero tape or whatever they call it. You know what I'm talking about. Right. Right. And so every car was just beat to hell. And uh, you're sitting there and I'm, I'm listening to the, the commentary and I'm watching this. I, I, I'm like watching with kind of a morbid fascination. Right. And they'd get started and there'd be another huge pile up, you know, within one lap. Yeah. And and the the commentators were so tired. It was it was approaching midnight there. And I think Mike Mike Waltrip said, Well, do you think we're gonna get this done before midnight? You know? And he goes, I don't think we are. You know, I think <laughs> we're gonna be into Tuesday before this race is over. Right? Right. And like there, <laughs> there would be a pile up of like you know, ten or fifteen cars. And it was like, yeah, well, there we go again. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it. They weren't even trying to make a, a spectacle of it. It was just like, oh, yeah, okay. Well, there we go again. So, and it's almost, it was hysterical because now the the big one is no, it's nothing. It's like, oh, you know. And even Michael Waltrip is like. With uh, with ten laps to go or something, he's like, "Come on, boys, let's let's try to get this to the green flag." You know, he's like, <laughs> he wants to go to bed. I'm sitting there watching this, and I'm like, "How can anybody in their right mind watch this?" Uh, you know, and I know I've said this before, and I know it's a broken record, but I mean, curb, it is ludicrous. And the cars that are winning and stuff, they're literally being held together with duct tape as they go around, and like. So you get in this wreck, and as long as you're still moving, you're still in it. I, I guess I was watching because uh, Almondinger was kind of in there to- close to the end, and so was Sage Karam. Sage Karam was right there at the end. He was like in third place. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, well, that, that might have caught my interest about any of those two guys. Yeah. So Al- I, I mean, Almond- Almondinger was like top ten in the 500. He got six, I think, in the in the the, yeah. the real race, right? He was right but, there. But the Xfinity race, he was also in that, and he was doing well. He was, he, I think, he still came in like ninth or something. Um, but but Karam was right up there. So okay, I'm watching, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, Karam caused the last big incident. He plowed into the back of another guy, and he he's he he created that big one. Right. But the okay. the lack of emotion or anything that had to do, oh well, they spun around again. It was like. If I, I, again, I've said it before. If you're watching that, you, you need your head examined. Well, um, first of all, I can do you one better. I found myself watching the beginning of the ARCA race on Friday night at 11 p.m. Oh, good lord! Because Marco was in it, Marco Andretti, and I had seen a headline that he had been the fastest in practice, you know, that afternoon or the afternoon before or something. And so I, you know, I was awake and it was on. And I'll, I'll see how this starts out for Marco. And he started out mid-pack, but he was up there. He was racing around the top 10 or 12 of most of the race. But this ARCA race is 80 laps with a timeout or halftime essentially at 40 laps or thereabouts. They're going to, they have leeway to choose what lap to call halftime on, but it's around lap 40. And, um, and I, I, you talk about yellow. I. I don't know, and I'm probably overstating it, but I wouldn't be surprised if they told me that there were 60 yellow laps out of 80. I mean, it was, it was once they started wrecking, it was nonstop. And those cars, to me, looked like they weren't really capable of running that track at those speeds. I mean, it just seemed like they could barely hold on to it. And those, you think those, you know, cup cars in the 500 are wiggling around while they're in those packs. I mean, these guys in these Ascar, in these uh, Arca cars. They couldn't hold it together to save their lives. And um, and finally, you know, Marco finally got caught up in one, but he got back in the race, and he's going around. And then all of a sudden, his car just catches fire. Or I think a tire went down or something. His car just catches fire. He had to jump out of it. And um, But, you know, this one's like Jamie Little is the 
is the play-by-play announcer, and I think they had Austin Sindrick in there and somebody I'd never heard of before. And uh, but they were the same way. They were like, "Oh, we gotta get out of here. We gotta go to bed." You know, we're like, <laughs> didn't get over. I mean, it didn't get over till after one thirty, like one thirty in the morning or something. It was no, it's, lap it's, race. it's it's unreal. And and now the pit crews there, uh, you know, I was I was watching. They got these like sawzaws and circular saws, you know, and and they have it like, that's one of the tools they have right there because they know they're going to be like cutting fiberglass off and replacing it with tape. I'm watching, but I mean, I'm watching Daytona last night. I didn't, I watched the last 25 or 20, 30 laps of that race, which took an hour. And, um, and I'm just, and, and I'm just like, you know, I know the race started at four and this is going on like eight o'clock at night. And I'm thinking, all these people sit in these stands for this. I mean, the, those cars are just a blob going around the track, right? And it's they got camera angles that make it look impressive. I mean, they're going fast. Don't get me wrong. It's it's high speed stuff, but there's nothing happening, right? I mean, it's very, very subtle. It's very subtle, and make, you can maybe kind of understand what's happening because you're watching TV and they're showing you. You know, Kevin Harvick's explaining it to you. If you're sitting there in the stands at Daytona watching these guys just go around endlessly with nothing happening. I mean, you know, you get a wreck every now and then, but other than that, it's just, and I did watch a few laps early in the race and I turned it on and they're going on and on about how, for some reason, the Fords and particularly team Penske had all gone into pit together and they'd pitted earlier than anybody else. And so, you know, the Toyotas pitted together and the, and the Chevy's, you know, pit, did their pit stops together and they all did it better than the Fords did. And the Fords are like in danger of being lapped. I mean, they're that far, they've done that poorly in this pit stop exchange, but you know, you go away and take care of the grandkids and you come back to see the last 30 laps and who's in the dominant positions with Joey Logano and all the Fords. Um, and so, you know, the first, you know, two thirds of the race just don't seem to matter. And, you know, these guys are just all, Banging on each other, it just didn't. I mean, I, I don't. It's mind numbing. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't mind accidents. I don't. You know, some people get mad if you say you like accidents or whatever. I don't. I don't mind if there's accidents. It's racing and it's hard racing and so on. But uh, this is just kind of, you know, it's just roulette out there you know, in terms of. I know. Race. My my overriding thought, actually, watching all that, um, was that. I actually thought of the Europeans, you know, like a Formula One fan, and he would sit there and watch that, and like, you Americans are like the st- stupidest people on the planet. How can you come to any other conclusion? I mean, I, well, I get I it. I don't know. I don't know if that's true because what does what does Danny Ricks want to do? He doesn't want to drive an Indy car if he gets out of Formula One. He wants to drive a NASCAR. No, because it pays. And NASCAR, well, yeah, but I mean, NASCAR is pushing for their international audience. They're going to make headway. Stock, they might, you know, they own a, they own a Mexican stock car series. I'm sure they own some South American stock car series. Right In the Xfinity thing, I can tell you there was never ever one concern about a driver's health, no matter how gruesome the accident. Like nobody was risking their lives there. Well, I mean, I give them credit on the safety of their cars, but um, no, but you know what I'm saying? It's like it's like oh I you know you never heard like a comment say oh I hope he's okay I mean it was an automatic assumption everybody's just fine right they were plenty concerned about uh, somebody's thumb I think in that Daytona race so you know there's there is that there's that <laughs> but uh, no it, it was uh, for a for an open wheel fan it's pretty hard to get your arms around what you see in a in a, in a plate race anyway in NASCAR right and 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 thus our frustration right. Like sure. we watch guys really kind of putting it out there, racing hard, uh, you know, racing well, doing, you know, amazing things in cars. And we sit there and have to play, you know, second, third, fifth fiddle to that. And I think right. it, you know, for, for guys like us, it's just so frustrating. And so to the management of IndyCar, I say, how can you let that beat you? Why are you letting that beat you? I agree. You got a product there, and you got to you got to figure out how to take it to the masses. I did uh, drive by the uh, site of the future home of Andretti Global headquarters today. Um, it appears there might be 
signs of activity again on site there. A banner back up on the fence. The gate was open. There were lots of large pieces of equipment sitting out there on the site. So hopefully that's a positive for uh, Andretti Global. Okay. On that, who picks up the check? <laughs> what do they say? <laughs> Cooper Tires? It'd be Hatch no. Hive, wouldn't it? <laughs> no, Hatch Hive. On that, Hatch Hive. Din- dinner's on Hatch Hive. Dinner's, dinner's on Dinner's on Hatch Hive. Your sex on the beach is on Hatch Hive tonight. So. Yeah, for sure. So. All right. X at Hero IndyCar at H-I-R-O IndyCar. No, so no Hatch Hive's a sponsor still? Hatch Hive's a sponsor still, and, um, you know, just, uh, you know, debut is coming. Debut's coming. All right. Keep your keep your powder dry. We'll talk to you before St. Pete in a couple of weeks. Oh, thank you for reminding me, Kerb. So okay. um I, I would have I probably would have made this the our preview season preview and prediction uh episode, but Dale Coyne can't figure out who's gonna drive for him. <laughs> well uh I hear Nolan Siegel's gonna get some races. Right. Um, uh, I think maybe that's... maybe some Jack Harvey. Along yeah. the way, but uh, sounds like it's going to be uh, a ride share this year. Transitioning year for Dale. That's right. Did you hear? They said that uh, Nolan Siegel met Del Coin, I think, for the first time at uh, the Daytona 24 Hours, and um, and they were testing then on like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday at Homestead. Nolan Siegel goes home on Monday, and on Tuesday he's getting his seat made. Um, for his his um, Indy Lights Indy Next uh, ride, and Del Coyne calls him and says, "Hey, uh, you know, Jack Harvey's been in the car on Monday and Tuesday. You want to come down here tomorrow and race and drive it on Wednesday?" <laughs> he says, okay, sure. And he flies down and drives the car on Wednesday in practice. And I guess impressed. And um, yeah, they uh, said uh, they said ironic got better for him that way because he wouldn't have had a seat if he hadn't gone home on Monday. Had a seat made, so he brought a seat with him down to Homestead to, to drive the car on Wednesday. So, so it sounds like Dale's going by the seat of his pants here this year. Yeah, I th- and I thought he was going to just cash in big time. You know, I think he was kind of holding out because I think he thought he could sell his two seats for a ton of money, and I thought that's what he was going to do, but I'm not sure that's going to happen. Yeah, unfortunately, he couldn't pick up that Prey.com money for Stingray Rob, so, um, Got to piece it together, I guess. We'll address Prey.com in our season preview. There you go. All right. Thanks, everybody. See you soon. (laughs) Thanks, buddies. Bye.